Well, this talk is on can faith and reason agree to disagree? I think you probably know the answer already, but uh, let's uh, unpack that topic and begin with a little bit of a, a preface here. Probably of all the moral issues, philosophical issues, this is the most burning issue, especially today in our post-Christian culture. There is an urgency to appeal to the mind and to show that many of these burning issues, whether it's marriage, whether it's the definition of the human person, whether it's openness to life, whether it uh, involves the evolution of the human person, had, could he have evolved versus was he created instantaneously by God? We can't just appeal to a supernatural authority for the simple reason that the greater part of the population doesn't even know that there is a supernatural authority. And I would say we all need to be able to articulate these burning issues, but I would say the lay person in the middle of the world has even a greater necessity to be on top of her game or his game because I preach or speak to good people like you. I'm kind of spoiled. By the time they get into the chapel or the church, they've been already worked on by lay people who've had dialogues and conversations. So my part is a lot easier than yours. You're in the trenches of the world, of, the fa of family life, of the workplace, of festivities, on the sports field, where these issues keep arising. They have to arise because they touch on what is intimate to the human person and to human relations. Children, marriage, suffering, life, death, etc. First, we have to begin by realizing that does it really matter whether I can articulate these issues and show why they are reason, what's, that there is an objective truth. Does it really matter? Yes, it does. I recall, I have a very young lady here who went to the Willows, so she just jogged a memory. I remember teaching moral theology and speaking about moral culpability, that if you know something is morally wrong, now you are morally culpable, and in the Catholic Church, we will call that a sin. And one young lady raised her hand. She was being a bit facetious. Why are you telling us that? <laughs> he said, now every time there's an infraction in this particular commandment, we are morally culpable and we've committed a sin. If we didn't go to this class... We would not know better and not be culpable. And I had a 
thing quickly on my feet. And I said, well, it's, cult- it's morally wrong, not because God is a killjoy or that God is always trying to take away our teddy bear, as much as it's wrong because it harms the human person. And it robs that human person the possibility of being fulfilled and being happy. And if sin really gets out of hand, it actually not only destroys human relationships, but it destroys the human person, robs you of your freedom, and robs you of your dignity. So it is, this, these are not arbitrary topics, because for the human person to be totally fulfilled, the human person needs to pursue a true moral good. I don't want to digress. That's why the original sin that brought sin into the world was a moral lie. If you do this, you will become like God. You could pave the way towards your own happiness, and only God could do that. Anyway, let's stick to faith and reason here. First of all, there are, there's one source of truth. That source of truth is the eternal wisdom of God. And in a certain sense, this is self-evident. If, if I water a plant, it's going to grow. That's that signifies the truth about the plant. The plant needs water. Next week, it's going to be the case. A hundred years from now, it's going to be the case. You can't have a double truth, especially if the truth comes from one source. But this one source branches out in two ways. There is a supernatural source where God actually tells you the truth directly. Where do we find that? We find that in the inspired word of the Bible and in Catholic circles in the teachings of the church because in the, we believe that the church has divine power to interpret what God has revealed in a true and accurate and and applicable way. That's one source, that God has told us the truth directly under no uncertain terms. The other immediate source of the truth, coming from that root which we call the eternal wisdom of God, is the light of human reason, that every person enjoys a light. That light enables us to understand what things are in the material world. I could understand, I could develop my mind in such a way that I could understand the laws of physics, the laws of chemistry, biological laws, etc., economics, we have a lot of lawyers here, law. Yes, that's, there's truth there too. 
<laughs> then also, the human mind is enabled to, and Paul comes down very hard on the Gentiles in the ancient Roman Empire. He said that they were culpable of all the perversities and the wrongdoings they were doing in that ancient world. Their, their perversities, their violence, their disrespect towards parents. It's all in chapter one. I'm not going to read it because it's kind of a downer, but he, he speaks about all the moral evils of that time. And he says that, but you're responsible because human reason can determine what is objectively right and what is objectively wrong. So human reason understands that you must pursue good and avoid evil. Human reason, I don't need to read the book of Exodus or the book of Deuteronomy to Realize that I, when you ask me what I did last weekend, I owe you the truth. I should tell you the truth. And I know that I should not take your bun when you walk out of the room because that coffee bun is not mine. It's yours. I cannot take what doesn't belong to me. Uh, I need to, if I go to the store for a box of Kleenex, Injustice, I have to pay for that box of cleanings. So I have these natural laws, these moral laws, imprinted on my mind and heart. Okay, but we notice that the Bible seems to be redundant, especially the Old Testament, because it lists the Ten Commandments. I just said I don't need to read the book of Exodus to know what's right and wrong. Why do we have divine revelation articulating what's right and wrong? For a number of reasons. The human condition is such, this is a Catholic teaching, Christian teaching, but I think it's self-evident as well, that we suffer from a wounded nature. What does that mean? My mind is clouded. It isn't good at applying the moral law to the culture, to concrete circumstances. It can do it, but it has trouble doing it. The human will is also wounded. It has trouble pursuing the good. It has trouble always being truthful. It has trouble being just. It has trouble controlling anger, controlling pride, controlling lust. And when the appetites and the passions get out of control, the mind that works even, is even, the moral mind is less efficient because the moral mind begins to justify one's wrongdoing. Little parentheses. We all should look at our collective watches because we all, I got to get you back to work. And I, I, I behave myself, but when people start criticizing certain theological issues, 
they even question the value of a church or organized uh, liturgical ceremonies with gentleness, at least I hope, hope so. I always ask permission, can I ask you a personal question? And many times it's yes. The collar um, opens up all sorts of personal <laughs> doors. And I said, I think you may have a moral problem. What do you mean? Then I get down to a few more details. And he says, are you a reader of hearts? I go, no, it's just, it's the human condition. If you're doing something wrong, you're going to change your mindset. <clears throat> because if you're justifying your lifestyle, you've got to say that the church is wrong in its teaching. Or you've got to change your ways. So if you still want to pursue the path you've chosen to justify it, you've got to change your whole worldview of morality, or at least morality that pertains to your personal behavior. There's truths today, even though the human mind can determine what's right and wrong because of the culture, because of what I just said, the effects of original sin. You need a divine umpire or a divine referee. And even non-Christians realize that. If the Pope makes a moral statement, or even if he's, you know, chilling out in an airplane, that's, and if it has any moral connotations, it's on the front page of the newspaper. Why? Because people realize, at least subconsciously, there is a divine referee or a divine umpire. Issues like in vitro fertilization, the definition of marriage, the rights of the unborn, torture of terrorist prisoners, the origin of the human person, what is the human person, all these require today because of the culture, the guidance of a divine referee pointing out what is true and what is false, even though this guiding light is, does not subtract from the power of human reason. It's just that human reason has, very, has difficulty knowing what's right and wrong when it comes to concrete uh, circumstances and situations in the culture. What does this guiding light do? Well, the, the church is founded by Christ. We Christians believe that Christ is God. And Christ didn't promise that the members of the church would be impeccable. We don't need, you don't need me to say that to realize that. But it did promise, Christ did promise, because truth is so important. And Christ is the incarnation of truth, that this 
society, this institution, this mystical body that Christ found is when it makes a statement, it's going to enjoy the guidance of the Holy Spirit. That I am going, that Christ is going to make sure that the members of that mystical body and the whole world that in that case will have access to the truth, will have access to the proper application of the moral law. And will understand in a clear way what the human person is, etc. I think it's important to look at the history behind this. This is just a little bit the overview. Panic your overview is a pretty long time. This is going to be a little bit of an historical background on this, because the historical background is germane to how we should view faith and reason. This issue began before the time of Christ. The chosen people were proud because they were the only people that knew that there was a one true God. They were the only people who would receive actual messages from God vis-a-vis -vis the prophets and vis-a-vis -vis certain cosmic phenomena. They would hear God and they would kind of boast. Moses would say, how many peoples, how many nations have this access to God? And basically Moses was saying, how many people have this access to truth? How many people are recipients of divine messages? And so the Jewish people already realized that they had the fullness of the truth. And one of the reasons why, through the divine messages, they didn't mingle with the Gentiles, it wasn't because the Jewish people were antisocial, but to preserve this truth, which would be the staging area for the coming of the Messiah. So they had that awareness. We've got the truth. And, and when did they run into trouble? When they start to veer away from that truth. So, that, so historically, that whole idea of faith and reason began with the Jewish people that they had the truth. And I would say another group of people realized that they were special. And the church uses their thoughts, their philosophy, to this very day. And that was the Greek world. They also, these Greek thinkers, these Greek philosophers, also realized that through their thinking process and that they had certain power of penetrating reality and they would see the ultimate causes of reality in a way that had never been seen before by any other people. And they understood that what was going on had an intimate connection with an ultimate source of truth that was God himself. Even though perhaps they didn't use the word God, they used the word demiurge or the one or the good, etc. Number two, they realized Plato and Aristotle, Socrates, 
that they knew the moral truth. They had access to the moral truth. In disagreement with the gods, they, 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 they saw a disconnect between what they discovered, what was good for the human person, that he should be just, that he should be chaste, that he should be truthful, that he should, be a, he should contemplate, that he's got to be temperate, he has to be courageous, he's got to be detached from material things. And they, they realized, well, there is a pathway to human fulfillment in disagreement with our mythology. So, okay, hold that thought. So they thought they had a monopoly on truth through the power of human reason, realizing that their human reason was connected with God. The Jewish people realized that they didn't have to study different philosophies or read different treatises on the person or on religion because they had direct access to God. We fast forward to the advent of Christianity. This is all germane to the topic. Christ came and revelation just mushroomed. It culminated in Christ. Now we have, we, we have God who has become actually visible, who's now a baby, is a worker, hangs on a cross, rises from the dead, uh, and, and is the truth. He's not only speaking truth, he is the truth. And so the immediate attitude of the early Christians, they were not academics, most of them, uh, we don't need anything else but this. We've got the fullness of the truth that everybody can enjoy in Christ. We don't need pagan philosophy. We don't need... Uh, an ethics that has nothing that is that is uh, has no relationship to the gospel. We've got the fullness of the truth. Shortly after that, because what is Christianity? Christianity is all about speaking the truth to others. I mean, the last words of the founder of the church was, "Preach the gospel to all nations." And these early Christians realized that. If I'm going to engage the pagan world, I can't just lead with the Eucharist, or I can't just lead with the need to embrace my cross. I've got to show that this gospel, these teachings, are reasonable. Because otherwise, if I don't appeal to reason, I will not be able to spread the gospel. And also, there was a practical reason that the early Christians were severely persecuted. Many, many, many died. And so you had a, a sector of Christians called the apologists who would write treatises in order to convince the Roman authorities, both in the Greek world and the Latin world, how good Christianity was. Because if you were a Christian, you would form good citizens. If you were a Christian, you would form strong families. Uh, they were a bit politically incorrect because they started to attack the Roman gods and the Greek gods and the Egyptian gods, saying that they were immoral, that you couldn't imitate them. They have nothing to offer. But the Christian god uh, is into service, is into loving others, 
it is, it's into the dignity of the human person. It's into the dignity of women, which was, was taking a hit in those days, etc. And so they start to appeal, and, and, and what they would say is that Christianity, if you lived it, brought the very best out of the human person. And Christianity could actually transform a person from a bad person to a good person. It's, it's so already in that early church, they were trying to show the validity of Christianity. The same issues were issues then, a little bit perhaps in more primitive form. Uh, infanticide was a big problem, especially infanticide of female babies. Uh, marriage had practically disintegrated. Um, there was all sorts of sexual perversity going on, a lot of violence, etc. And, and Christians started, there was slavery and a very abusive kind of slavery, um, abusive women. And so they were facing all those kinds of issues. And they made headway. It was very interesting to know that the stars of the show were, were not the popes and the bishops and the priests. Uh, I'm not, this is not false humility. Uh, but it was the lay people who were in the workplace in the family, in the marketplace, who began to uh, spread the truth, the moral truth of Christianity, uh, rooted in the Judeo-Christian tradition. Quickly, the Middle Ages, they came up with something which is key for today. They basically, there was only one science I'm talking about, from St. Augustine to Thomas Aquinas. Augustine lived in the 4th century. Aquinas uh, existed in the 13th century. That the purpose of reason was to understand what God has revealed. That human reason helps you penetrate and see its ramifications. And Augustine came up with an insight that I think is key for today. Faith seeks understanding. First, you need to believe, and then now try to understand. Why did he say that? Because there's certain parts of Revelation that we may not, humanly speaking, agree or understand. I mean, I don't. Have, we don't have to get into burning controversial issues. Uh, a typical one especially if someone comes into the Catholic Church, he or she was not Catholic or even Christian, his traditional rub is Mary. And usually the advice they receive is just believe it and as time goes by, try to understand it and it will will resolve itself. It usually does. Usually those converts are more marrying than you're or they'll say, you know, i got to get used to, you know, you, you, your first confession was when you are seven. My first confession is when I was 42. There's a little bit of a difference. Uh, this is so counterintuitive, saying my sins to another person. Again, the party line is, is buy it, accept it, and then, then try to figure it out. Much more controversial, and this is not the topic of the talk, so I won't go into it too much, but the whole issue of openness to life and contraceptives, 
there was 1968, uh, Paul VI had a big, had a commission of, of psychologists, of theologians who were studying the issue. Uh, because even though the church is guided by the Holy Spirit, grace builds on nature, the church just doesn't just wake up one day and say, okay, you got to believe this, you got to do this, you got to do the other thing. It does its homework, it studies things. So what it, it interprets revelation in a convincing and articulate way. Well, anyway, his commission uh, advised him that we've reached a time that the church should change its position and allow for, with an informed conscience, allow for artificial contraception. And the Holy Father studied it, thanked uh, his people, sent them the way pack, sent 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 them away packing, and did the opposite. He wrote *Umani Vita*, and it caused quite a stir. Even you know, good theologians were a little bit surprised. They had trouble accepting that. But many of them exercised or implemented that advice of Augustine. Faith seeks understanding. Look at it. Believe it. Because I'm going to appeal to that divine empire. Umpire. There, I'm going to... Because... You, in order to reconcile faith and reason, you do need humility. And you need to make a decision of faith. Now, am I implying that this teaching the church is unreasonable or beyond reason? No, it's extremely reasonable. I mean, this has spawned a deep theology or ethics of human sexuality. The theology of the body, equating, understanding the body language of human sexuality in a way that was not seen before. And be, with this attitude of faith seeks understanding, there's a lot of clarity why this is a, a reasonable position. Again, the class is not about this, so um, I just want to use that by way of example. This whole issue culminated, believe it or not, in the 13th century. Uh, it's called the Averroes Controversy. Uh, the Islamic people, or the Islamic uh, army, swept through the Mideast, North Africa, parts of the Eastern Roman Empire, and absconded with works of Aristotle. So the Christian world for 13 centuries had very little access to Aristotle. One fine day, uh, Aristotle's works reached southern Spain, which was in Muslim hands. Averroes has an Islamic name, but it was Spanishized, or Spanish pronunciation is Averroes. And he was gaga over Aristotle. He said, this is unbelievable stuff. I have found, Averroes is saying, he's, 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 he's Muslim. He says, I have found the truth in Aristotle, his metaphysics, his ethics. And it's so clear to the human mind. And so he was just euphoric over Aristotle. And he started getting into trouble because he started to contrast Aristotle with the Quran. And he said, well, the Quran is just opinion. It's religious belief but not based on reason. 
It's not that reasonable. And so if you're not willing to think, and if you're not willing to exercise your mind and be intellectually honest, believe in the Quran. But if you really want the truth that is demonstrated before the eyes of your mind, read Aristotle, learn Aristotle. He got into big trouble. And, okay. And, uh, you, know, you know, the penalty could be We'll say hardball and leave it at that. So uh, after he was he after he received a fraternal correction, as it were, he changed his tune. Okay, and you'll see how relevant this is. He changed his tune. He said, oh, "No, no, 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 no." What I really meant, you know, as he looks at the potential executor, what I really meant is that you can accept both as true. So he comes out and he says, listen, you, you didn't understand me. What I really meant is you could find the truth in the Quran. As a religious Muslim, you could embrace the Quran, And as a philosopher, you can embrace Aristotle. There's no incompatibility. In fact, the Quran contradicts Aristotle. No problem. You can have a double truth. You could have a religious truth, and you could have a secular truth. You could have a religious truth and a philosophical truth. And then they press him a little bit. He says, but what, what should I lean a certain way? And he said, <clears throat> lean towards Aristotle. <laughs> so he said, but he, he would say that you embrace a double truth. Well, he's trying to save his life. Uh, now, that theory entered into the Christian world. Aristotle entered into the ac academic circles of Europe in the 13th century. And the church started to condemn him. Well, because why? Uh, we preach a personal God, and Aristotle was preaching an unmoved mover, an uncaused cause. Uh, we have the Beatitudes, and Aristotle says that the way to internal life is through moral virtues. So, that so Aristotle entered into the Christian world, and they started a number of important thinkers agreed with Averroes and said, You can have a double truth theory too in Christianity. So you got Aristotle and you got the Bible. You, as a religious man, go for the Bible, as a philosopher, go with Aristotle. Right, that caused quite a stir, and Thomas Aquinas resolved. The issue and his resolution holds today. We this smacks of what we see in the political sectors. I am a serious Catholic, I'm a devout Catholic, and I am pro-life personally. I am pro real marriage, but I can't impose that mindset, this religious mindset on society because there's a double truth. There's a truth I have as a politician and there's a truth I have personally as a Christian or a Catholic. What does Thomas Aquinas say about this double truth theory? He says a couple of things. More than a couple. But he says, first of all, the ultimate truth is divine revelation. That is the highest truth. 
you always appeal to that. And the truth, divine revelation, articulated by the truth, since that enjoys the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Even Aquinas, in one doctrinal issue, his reasoning process wasn't where it should have been. Immaculate conception, uh, or even well, the science was very primitive then. He, he said that you know the souls, and a lot of times pro-choice has used that that the soul was infused three months after conception, etc. But he says that theology is the highest truth. Number two, he says, but reason, philosophy, the reasoning process is superior to theology from one very limited perspective, that the human reason, the human person needs demonstration. And authority is a source of knowledge. When we, when we went to school, we were taking a lot of information on faith. But authority is the weakest argument. The more you can demonstrate, the better. The more you can demonstrate, the more that person, your hearer, your listener, can accept the truth. Then he goes on to say, there can never be an incompatibility between what the Bible says, what the church says, and your moral conclusions. There can never be an incompatibility. You can never have a double truth because there's one source. The light of reason comes from God and divine revelation comes from God. And he says, if you, let's use a non-moral issue of creation. If you, let's say you're a physicist and you start saying, well, creation had a number of sources and there's no, there's no explanation for the existence of the universe. What Quantus says is when there's an incompatibility between what, what is a matter of faith and reason, there's something wrong with your reasoning process. There's something wrong with the physics or the astronomy. If you say that there was never a beginning of the universe, something's wrong with your science. If you say that the human person, his soul, has evolved, you have faulty biology. Not that, the, not that the church is going to do biology, but whatever, if, if it Im, impacts on morality and faith, the church steps in. Uh, so there can't be any incompatibility. Or we get, and, and Aquinas will say, even in mysteries of faith, because part of divine revelation is to reveal mysteries that we can never understand three persons, one God, that God the Son became man, etc. But he did say that if you say something that is not consistent with what the Bible says, what the church teaches, there is a lack of logic there. The, 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 the reasoning process has been faulty. For example, let me give you a quick example. Uh, Jesus is not God. I can't prove that Jesus is God. That's a mystery of faith. i got to take that on faith. I cannot demonstrate that. If I can, you know, I'm leading you up the wrong, wrong road here. But I can prove 
that you're, mis- that you're making some mistakes by denying it. What were the denials? Well, Jesus can't be God because he's got a beard, because he cries, so he has to be two persons. Well, that's against reason. Can, can a man be two persons? Uh, that he has one nature. Well, can he be God and have one nature? Can, can God have, can a, can, can a man be God and man at the same time? So what you can do is show the lack of reasoning uh, in something that contradicts what the church has taught or what the Bible has said. What are some of, we're, we're almost, we're, I want to open the floor for, for some questions, but how does this, this whole idea of, of faith and reason, how does it apply today? Well, for example, we, we have the, the issue right now, I don't want to beat it to death, uh, the right for two people with same-sex attraction to get married. Okay, let's just use that as our, our test case. All right? What does theology tell us? What is the Judea? What is revelation? We don't have to be Christian for that one. Well, there's all, marriage is, by nature, uh, this intimate union between a man and a woman with the purpose of, not the only purpose, but the chief purpose of propagating life. Uh, it's, it's been seen as sacred among virtually every population of people throughout history. But let's test this. You know, faith and reason have to go together. I was at a gathering, and someone said, well, finally, people have come of age and allow, they're allowing, they're opening up marriage for people with same-sex attraction. And I said, well, if the conversation stops here, I'm not going to say anything. This is a gathering, and we're all having fun, and we all like each other, and, you know, I don't want to be the bad guy. But then she kept pursuing. <laughs> so I said, I, you know, I got to face the divine judge one day. So I said, uh, you know, I, I don't think that's, that, I don't think you, I don't think this is a, a moral good. And then eyes, you know, glared at me. You close-minded, anti-intellectual, uh, you rigid person. You're, you're so insensitive. I said, well, listen, I don't want to get into this because, you know, I just let's, let's go back to talking about the, the new Bears coach. Um, <laughs> but I said, well, let's just, just, just look at this. If, if marriage is what you say it is, well, you know, you have, because you have this, you have a right because you have that same attraction. Okay, let's follow that reasoning process. Maybe I have strong inclinations toward, towards dogs. Or maybe, for me, marriage is three people. Can I do that? Oh, you're being silly. I go, why? I mean, we are using reason here. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, this is the purpose of, you know, integrating faith and reason is going to help you win a battle of wits. We're not in, into a battle of wits. But we are here 
to articulate that there is an objective moral good, and that we we that what the church may say on these issues, which are accessible to anybody, just serves as a guiding light to be on target with the truth. How do I treat the church's made statements in the catechism? You know, this big controversy, how to deal with terrorists. Well, the church articulates that you can't torture people. Well, they did this and that, that's true. But where, where, what's the reason? Because of the dignity of the human person, made in the image and likeness of God. The church has said very strongly that you can't destroy an unborn child. Okay, what's the reason behind it? Well, I know people who have changed their position, not because of theology books, but because of their study of medicine, because of their study of embryology, they said, well, i got to be intellectually honest. That's a new person. That's an unborn person. And then, you, as Aquinas will say, well, there's, you know, there's always a lack of, there's a faulty logic in articulating moral why. You know, the rights of the woman. Okay, that, who's against that? We're all for the rights of women. But you notice the subtlety, I mean, it's not, not too subtle for me, how about the rights of this new human being? I remember, and I'm going to finish, someone's telling me, listen, you know, you Catholics, the Catholic hierarchy, you know, they're not trying to spread the gospel. They're not willing to meet people halfway. Some people, there are a lot of good people, I'm not judging, who are pro-choice. Okay? So it's not that they're for you know, killing unborn children, they're pro-choice. And uh, what do you think? I said, well, I don't know. I said, I don't know. I, I look at it very simply, that if I'm a little guy in the womb of my mother, and I'm not sure if my mother's going to kill me, you know, that's not very encouraging. You know? Or that my mom has the option of destroying me, you know, because she may think that's a right she has over her own body. Etc. So I think what we need to do here is to uh, exercise that that medieval adage, which is not medieval per se, that faith seeks understanding. And what we will do is, as we articulate that truth, we will help people have a happier life. And part of doing this is to point out with humility with understanding, with mercy, that faith seeks understanding, and that the moral truth gives joy, gives fulfillment, ultimately gives freedom, makes for happier families, a better society, and a, and, and a greater meaning of human life. Thank you.